right. Welcome, Bankless Nation, to this community. Ask me anything. We have Tasha here from Alpha Finance. AMA times are a good opportunity for you to get your questions out. So what you should do, if you're hanging out on Discord, if you're a Bankless member, you can ask your question in the Bankless Discord. We will prioritize those questions. You can also ask your question on YouTube. David and I will be checking in on YouTube, getting your questions queued up. This is really an opportunity for you guys to ask questions of Tasha and uh, of the Alpha Finance Project. We do this on the YouTube and then we also uh, put it out on the podcast too. So if you prefer listening to it in podcast format, you can get it that way too. David, we should just introduce folks to to Alpha Finance and Alpha Homora specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want to say as an intro to this exciting, cool project? Yeah, it's really exploded into the forefront recently, which is and it's it's always pretty cool when a project does that, when it just rises out mm-hmm. of uh, the the very chaotic world of DeFi into the forefront of people's minds. Um, the Alpha is famous for being able to provide really, really, really strong yields on Ether uh, above and beyond what you would get from ETH staking. Uh, and the way that Alpha does that is uh, what we call what they've called leveraged yield farming. So I have my questions as to what that entails, how risk is controlled, what the participants are in the system. Uh, apparently, Alpha is originating more loans than Ave, which is pretty insane because Ave That's so crazy. is like the, the canonical uh, lending platform. Uh, so we're going to get into all these questions uh, in, in just a little bit. But uh, before we do, we're going to talk a little bit about these sponsors that make this show possible. All right. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com slash GoBankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at Gemini.com slash GoBankless. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. 
Ave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction. So you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Ave at Ave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, guys, we are back with Tasha from Alpha Finance for this community. Ask me anything. Tasha, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Tasha, I want to get into your background actually first and, and uh, talk a little bit about where, where kind of you came from. So you've got investment banker in your Twitter bio. So uh, maybe you might be the first banker guest we've had on Bankless, which is kind of fun. So tell us how you fell down the DeFi rabbit hole and uh, found yourself building a DeFi protocol. Yeah, so, you know, since... When I was studying at UC Berkeley, um, I've always been interested in in crypto and blockchain space. Um, and you know, Berkeley and the Bay Area are very um, you know tech savvy and 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 friendly space, right? So um, that's how I first got exposed. Um, and then it just keep studying, learning more about the whole space. Um, and generally, I, I I like finance and I like tech, right? So you know, when I first started my career, I decided to join um, a tech investment banking role. So that means that I'm doing financial services uh, for tech clients um, across the US and across um, the, the Europe as well. Um, and then when DeFi started to become more, um, you know, uh, dominant and also becoming the main use case of blockchain, that's when I really got, you know, very, very excited um, and, and trying to learn more about it. Uh, and pretty much, yeah, um, after finance role, I pivoted to more tech to product management at Tencent. And then pivoted to more blockchain um, and band protocol, and then now um, DeFi, right? So, so it's been a journey, but you know, it's been quite some time that I've been inter- interested in studying um, the whole space. That is super cool. So, did you come into crypto by way of more DeFi, or did you come more by way of like like the Bitcoin sort of path? It's uh, the Bitcoin path. Okay, gotcha. So you started with Bitcoin, and then and then went into kind of the DeFi side of things. Okay, well, so uh, tell us about Alpha, Alpha, really Alpha Finance, and why you decided to to focus on the the areas that you're focusing with this DeFi protocol. Mm. Yeah, so you have to to think Alpha Finance as a DeFi lab, and what that means is that we're incubating and innovating a number of DeFi products. Um, the goal of each of the products to will be different, so the problems we're solving will be particular to a particular area. Uh, for each product, right? But then at the end of the day, all of these products will work as an ecosystem. And then the whole ecosystem, we're focusing on the main goal instead, instead of focusing on one particular area um, of DeFi that we want to innovate in. So the main goal that all of these products as an ecosystem will work towards is to maximize the returns for users and also minimize the downside risks. So, um, you know, once we achieve this goal, then of course we would go for the bigger goal um, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, we are here to hopefully change um, and, and pretty much reform trad- traditional finance. Um, but, you know, given the DeFi landscape now, given the regulatory uh, landscape, uh, it would be some time. So, so what we're doing now is pretty much trying to make uh, very useful um, and staying at the forefront of DeFi and pretty much um, grow Alpha and DeFi to the point where we can make, you know, more um, and, and bigger impact uh, later down the line. 
So this is a theme that we've seen arise out of a number of projects that came out of DeFi Summer and, and just re the most recent cohort of DeFi projects. Uh, notably, YAM started off as this rebasing thing, but then it grew its treasury and now it produced the Umbrella Protocol. And so it's kind of acting like a DAO that just produces products. Uh, we're also seeing the same thing out of uh, SushiSwap, which first started with a clone of Uniswap, but now has BentoBox, which is something totally different, a borrowing lending platform. Uh, would you say Alpha is... is similar to that or is the the uh, product side of alpha and like the DAO side of alpha different well how would you compare and contrast these different organizations that are living on chain mm -hmm. i think there there are multiple differences right like the first one is um it i think it it like how we progress and how the other progress may be different um the end goal may be the same in which that there are multiple products as an ecosystem um, but for Alpha, we created as, a, as the first day, knowing that it's going to be an ecosystem. So that means that we structure the team, uh, the way that we work, the way we build are, are, are a bit different. Uh, we're always going to be on the lookout of new opportunities, uh, trying to see which market um, is looking for which product. Perhaps, let's say, if we come up with a new product tomorrow that we think that, you know, it really fits with the market landscape right now, we might just ship it um, before the products that we have announced. So, so I think it's more of a dynamic uh, workflow in that sense. Um, so, so that's the, the main difference uh, in terms of how we work and how we build, how we evaluate the products, right? Um, the second difference is I think uh, it's the goal that we're focusing on um, or like the area that we're, that we're focusing on. So let's say if um, instead of focusing on all the products that we work on, we're actually focusing on the end goal that I mentioned. Um, so let's say if one particular product allows us to, to achieve that goal better, then, you know, then that means that we have to focus on that product more, right? Um, so I think that that whole thing comes back to, to the, the fact that we are building an ecosystem since day one. So with that under, uh, as like the kind of the social contract of alpha, an ecosystem from day one, that means that you need a, a team that can manage an ecosystem, right? That's more a more specific skill sets uh, and, and straight up more of a, of a larger team. So how did, you, how did the alpha team assemble? Where did all of these people come from and who are they? Yeah, that's, that's a question that, you know, I got asked a lot um, because, you know, it's been quite a, a journey for us from, you know, end of last year to, to today, right? Um, so right now the team mostly is based in Thailand. Um, the talent is, is pretty uh, top-notch in, in my opinion. I mean, others can think differently, right? Um, and pretty much the way that we recruit are, are recruiting from Olympics, um, you know, candidates. Uh, and these are, a lot of these are already in Thailand. So Thai people are, are actually pretty um, strong in com computer science and quant to begin with. And then, you know, now that we have a core strong team, we're going to decentralize the whole team and expand the whole team uh, going forward. So now we're actually recruiting globally um, for various roles, for, for tech, for business development, for marketing. So expanding, um, not just limiting to Thailand. So when you were assembling this team of, of diverse set of skills, um, you had this product in mind. And so how, what are the core competencies of the team? Like what is the, what is the if the team was really good at something, uh, and then how does that relate to that? What is that thing? And how does that thing relate to the product that you guys are trying to build out, out at Alpha? Mm -hmm. I think there are two main, I mean, three main things. One thing is that the team has to be really strong in math. 
uh, and and coding. I mean, coding is is you know a, a given, right? Like smart contract solidity and everything. But math is something that we really put emphasis on because in order for us to build a cutting edge um, and innovative products and still be a safe protocol for people to use, um, math is going to be a really core component. Let's say if you go on Alpha Homora V1 or V2 now, each of the leverage level is you know thought through. Um, Nipun, who's the co-founder and CTO, uh, is actually ranked the third in uh, the global mathematics uh, Olympiad. Um, so he pretty much has done a number of research on what parameter you should go for surf <laughs> pool for you know East sushi pool. Um, so it's not not a random number that we are uh, putting out to users to use. Um, I think that's the, the number one core skill that that we look for. Um, it is crazy to me. I just want to make a comment. It's crazy to me that DeFi is starting to attract this caliber of talent now. This certainly was not true in the 2017 you know, cycle, but now it seems like it is true. We're getting top talent into DeFi working on these projects. It's super exciting. Yeah, I think it's it's shown a lot of um, you know valuable re- like reasons why people would want to come in, right? Um, the fact that you are creating a new financial system, the fact that you're, you know, it's in the beginning of the whole new era. Um, you're not late to the game. You're actually creating the whole um, future. So I think that's that's how people get you know very excited um, and and able to attract these talents in, which is helpful for the whole DeFi uh, ecosystem. I believe not just for Alpha. So I want to ask yeah. about what what does math unlock. So like, you know, we, you guys said that, you know, coding is a given, right? So all of these teams can code, right? And so all the coding isn't really the competitive advantage. It sounds like what you're saying is math is the competitive advantage that the alpha team has. What does that enable? What kind of products does that enable you guys to access because you guys are good at math? Mm. So to speak on Alpha Homora first, right? Um, the way that it can offer high leverage um, and pretty much still, uh, be on a safe side uh, is that everything is processed and, and, and all the loans and all the funds are held on the smart contract. Um, the way that we do it and the way that we make sure that the parameters are still safe, allowing for buffer, even at liquidation, there's still another buffer um, to, la- to allow for more price swing. You know, what's that buffer is going to be like? How are we going to be comfortable building a leveraged new farming product while still having, you know, a, a comfort to ourselves, right? So I think that's for Alpha Humora. For Alpha X, it's the fact that we are capable of baking in the funding rate payments into the quoted price. So when building Alpha X, which is a decentralized non-order book, um, perpetual swap trading product, we have in mind um, since day one that we are targeting anyone in DeFi who wants to trade perpetual swap without having to know that they're trading perpetual swap. Um, let's say that you want 10X returns if ETH price goes up, and ETH price goes up by $100 and now you're getting 1,000, right? So that's the end goal that you're getting. You don't have to understand anything in between. You don't have to understand funding rate or rebalancing or, or anything that is complicated, you know, in, in professional swap trading, right? So that's the end goal. Now it determines on it, it. how do we get there? So math is going to be really important. How do we figure out a funding rate mechanism that just simplifies everything? and bakes it just into the quoted price. So when people trade on AlphaX, for instance, uh, it will be similar to a trading on spot market in which the only prices that matter are the entry price and the exit price. So 
So you can just take the two prices and calculate your net gains and losses without having to, um, you know, taking into the account of finding payments in between as well. So that's an example of, of you know, math in alpha X. So, so Tasha, let's, um, let, let's maybe zoom out for a minute and talk high level about these products, right? So you mentioned two, you mentioned Alpha Amora and Alpha X. Um, and I'm not sure if Alpha X is out yet, but uh, maybe we'll get into that. I, I know Alpha Hamora a bit better. And so that, that is basically a way to get, get like some sort of leverage yield farming uh, sort of opportunities. Could you maybe describe that? And before you do, I'm going to ask a non-mathy question. So Alpha Hamora, what's with the Harry Potter stuff? Is, are you guys big Harry Potter fans? <laughs> yeah, um, Nippon is a really big Harry Potter fan. Um, and, you know, with V2, we're generalizing the theme um, a lot more. So if you go to Alpha Homora V2 site, uh, you can see that the only Harry Potter reference is the O with the um, the lightning. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's but like... The whole thing is, is uh, more generalized. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Cool. Um, so tell us about the product then. What does it do? Yeah. So as a user, you can use as a two-way for... for you know, to maximize your, your yields um, on Alpha Homora. Uh, if you are a lender, then you can lend your assets and get high yields. On Alpha Homora V1, the lending assets is limited to just ETH. Um, and that's because all the loans that leveraged you farmers are taking are based on ETH. So that's why, you know, the lending asset is limited to just ETH. And that's why it can generate really high lending APY for ETH holders because once you lend these ETH, it's the leverage yield farmers who are borrowing these ETH to yield farm um, and get the high APY. And hence they are willing to pay the borrowing interest rate because they're gaining a lot higher APY on leverage yield farming. Um, on V2, the difference is that with the lenders, you're not limited to just ETH. Uh, we're expanding you know, the, the list of assets uh, in lending pool um, to be a lot larger. So right now, if you go on V2, you can see that ETH, USDT, USDC, and DAI are assets that you can lend. Um, and then going forward, there will be more assets that you can lend as well, like Wi-Fi, SNX, DPI, and the list goes on, right? So Alpha Homer V2 will continue to grow from the lending aspects and also continue to grow from the leveraged you farming pools as, as we continue to add more pools um, aspects too. So that's from the, the lender's side and a bit more detail on the leveraged you farmers side. So once you come in, there are pretty much two main, like several, three main things that Alpha Homora simplifies for this, the leverage you farmers. Uh, number one is of course you get to unlock that leverage. So that means that you don't have to manually borrow loans from one place and then, which is also over collateralized loans um, and then put, uh, compile that loans with your liquidity to begin with and then you farm, right? So we simplify that. Uh, by having you to take on leverage that is under collateralized loans as well. So if, let's say if you take one ETH to supply, you can borrow like 1.5 ETH. So it's even more than what you supply. So that's the, the one thing that a farmer does for leveraging farmers. The second thing is that when you take your liquidity to supply in the first step, you don't have to have equal value of both. So let's say you want to uh, provide liquidity or you farm on ETH sushi. You don't need to have ETH and sushi. You have any proportion. Uh, we're going to take care of that for you, uh, either through uh, swapping optimally um, or other ways, right? 
And then third thing is that we complete the whole yield farming process for you. So once you supply liquidity, once you determine what assets you want to borrow in what proportion, what once you determine the leverage level, everything is all taken care of for you, which means that, you know, taking the LP token to stake, collecting the farm token, all of those things are pretty much all done by Alpha Homora. So where I would like to know where the yield actually comes from. And so the, uh, in my mind, uh, the, I'm getting an image of like the, the urine vaults, right? Where there are different strategies that return different amounts of yield based on what those strategies are. Uh, and, you know, the, if you want to go peek under the hood, you can go find out what those strategies are. How does, what, where does the yield actually come from with, with alpha? Like, where is that? Are there vaults? Are there strategies? Like, what is the, the, gener the yield generation mechanism? Mm-hmm. So there is one main strategy, which is that it's taking the liquidity you supply and the borrowed funds that you determine to enter at. So let's say 2x leverage, then it's you know half of your position is going to be the, the debt that you borrow. So take all of that and supply to the liquidity providing pool that you select. Let's say you select um, ETH Sushi, for instance, then it will supply to ETH Sushi on SushiSwap. And then it will take the LP token to stake um, in the liquidity mining pool uh, for you to claim sushi. So that's, you know, the main strategy for, for all the pools on Alpha Homora. The difference would be, you know, which pool you want to provide liquidity or you farm. So let's say the APY on ETH sushi will be different from the APY from Curve 3 pool, which is providing USDT, DAI, USDC on Curve farming CRV token. Um, so, so that's, you know, the high level. And then the APY for each of these pools will pretty much be coming from three parts uh, with also minus the borrow APY. So three minus one, right? So the first part is the U farming APY, which is on leverage. So let's say if you were to provide liquidity or, or you farm on ETH Sushi, let's say you would get 15%. And if you take 2X uh, position on Alpha Homura, then that means that you're getting 30%. Um, because you're providing 2x more liquidity, hence you can you farm with 2x more of the liquidity and, and get more sushi, right? The second thing is trading fees APY, which is also on leverage. So let's say if you were to get 10% trading fees APY on a, a pool um, and you do 2x, then it would be 20%. The third thing is alpha APY, which is the current liquidity mining program that we're running, uh, making sure that we help migrate V1 to V2 smoothly. And then, you know, those are all the positive APY. The negative APY is the borrowing interest rates that you have to pay uh, based on what assets you borrow and how much you borrow. So the, the yield comes from uh, issuing other protocols issuance of their like equity token, right? So the so then the the sushi ETH pair that comes from sushi being uh, distributed from the sushi protocol, and then when you're talking about curve, you're you're talking about yield farming the CRV token. So my metal my mental model has now gone from just yearn and vaults, but yearn and vaults plus DYDX, which has margin and leverage, right? So if you slap these things together, do you are we generally pretty close to what alpha is? Yeah, cool. for 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 what is yeah. Cool. And then what are the what are the risks? So can we talk about a risk and who's taking the risks? Them? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The 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 risk for someone who's doing this kind of you know leverage yield farming. Mm -hmm. So you know smart contract risk is always going to be there. We try to mitigate as much uh, as possible, doing various um, audits, uh, having other builders in the space, reading through the codes. Um, so that's 
by everyone who's using the product bearing that risk, right? For the leveraged new farmers, your risks are on um, pretty much making sure that you your position will not get liquidated because if your debt is too high comparing to the collateral that you put in, um, then you will reach a liquidation point. So you can monitor um, with your debt ratio number. So if your debt ratio is at 100%, then that is the liquidation risk that you're, you're, um, you're in, which means that other liquidators can come in and liquidate your position. Uh, what that means is that liquidators will get 5% of your position value and then 95%, depending on how much debt you have, right, will be used to pay back the debt that you owe and then whatever is left is sent back to you as, as a user. Um, so that's the risk that users have to be aware, especially when prices swing um, and, and can make the position be closer to liquidation risk. One, one thing to note is that for the curve three pool, um, because all the components are stable coins. So if you, if you supply stable coin and you're also borrowing stable coins, um, then the risk is actually lower than the other pools. Let's say ETH, Sushi, that you are providing ETH or Sushi and borrowing ETH. So you can see here that the stablecoin pools, assuming that the stablecoins are, you know, to their peg, um, then the, 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 the position is less likely going to be moved towards liquidation because the debt portion doesn't really move that much um, because of the, the peg system of the stablecoin. Um, so that's on the yield farmers, right? On the lenders, um, the risk is that, um, you know, if, if the positions or, you know, leverage positions become underwater, um, then partially, you know, the, the funds in the lending pool may be um, used to cover that, uh, that, that loss, right? But nothing to, to be too worried. Um, we actually have several mechanisms to prevent that. Uh, the first mechanism is that even when it's at 100% liquidation uh, or it, but even when it's at 100% debt ratio, which is the liquidation risk, uh, we offer another buffer scenario, which means that at liquidation risk, the positions are actually not underwater yet. Um, so that's the, the one thing that we do. The second thing that we do is that um, Alpha Homora B2 also takes 20% of the borrowings, uh, borrowers uh, interest rate to set aside as the insurance funds. So, you know, if uh, we have to cover the losses on the underwater positions to cover the debt, right, then um, this insurance funds will be tapped first um, before tapping into um, the, the funds in the lending pool. In a pile of insurance funds sounds like a fascinating top topic that I, I think there's probably a rabbit hole there. But first, before we go there, I want to ask about the collateralization ratio. Uh, did you just imply that there you could actually have an even amount of debt to collateral in the alpha system? Uh, yes. So so the way that Alpha Homer works, it's not similar to the other, uh, let's say, lending protocol. Um, and, and the key difference is that each asset actually has a collateral credit and a borrowing credit. So this is different for, for the other lending protocol or, or like the, the mechanism that has been used wide, widely in lending protocol because in typically there's no borrowing credit there's only a collateral credit or the collateral uh, loan to value right let's say if you take uh one ETH, you can borrow approximately 70 70 percent value of that one ETH, um, and then you can borrow anything within that 70 percent 70 value of that ETH, right what's different with alpha homework v2 
and hence it's kind of harder to calculate what's the exact collateral ratio on top of you know anyone's head you need like the excel to do it um, because that when you supply let's say ETH you would get a collateral credit value let's say you get uh, for instance uh, one collateral credit value right and then if you're going to borrow DAI DAI will consume for instance 0.5 collateral credit so which means that you can actually borrow two DAI in this case so assuming that the price is one to one for simplicity right um, but if you collateral with one ETH and you get one collateral credit and if you're actually going to borrow Sushi, for instance, um, Sushi would actually uh, claim and pretty much require 1.5 credit to borrow, which means that if you supply one ETH and you have one credit, you actually cannot borrow Sushi because it requires 1.5. So that's the mechanism that we do, which means that uh, the collateral um, ratio depends and, and pretty much also the leverage ratios depend on two things, what assets you bring in as collateral and which assets you're borrowing. Um, and not just which asset you're bringing as collateral. And how are these parameters determined? Well, Nippon. <laughs> so Nippon is, you know, pretty much owning um, the, the, the main mechanism of, you know, what parameters we offer um, to ensure that it's safe and also still able to offer leverage. Um, and we have this huge Excel that we also do uh, to make sure that we update, you know, every, every week, um, depending on the price. Uh, and making sure that the parameters that we set is still within the the range that we are okay with. Okay, would you would you characterize that as a hands-on endeavor? Is that something that is updated frequently, or like what is the the long-term plan for maintaining this this balance? It seems like a delicate balance that if someone isn't having like their eyeballs on it all the time, could get out of hand. Mm. So technically, you don't have to look at, you know, every week. Um, we're, we just do so now because we just launched V2. So we want to make sure that everything's fine, um, you know, as the migration process has, has been going, right? Uh, and all the parameters on Alpha Homa V1 and V2 actually have taken into account the worst case scenario. Um, so let's say uh, if there's a really huge price swing um, or, or anything in the past that, you know, can yeah can can cannot lead to a, a good event um, that is something that we also have taken into account um, and the leverage that we offer um, pretty much ensure that you know if that scenario were to happen again it would be mitigated although we cannot say that it would not happen because we don't know you know what else is going to happen um, in DeFi, right so can we talk a little bit about um, lending on Alpha Hamora? So you, you could lend your ETH, at least in, in version one. Now in version two, you can lend all sorts of other assets. What are what are the typical interest rates? Because it was it was fairly attractive in Alpha V1 for ETH. It was something like, like I don't know, four to 8%, somewhere in that range. Uh, is that about right? So typically it stays around 8% in V1 and then goes up to like, in the tens, in the twenties, sometimes. Wow. Uh, when when the the utilization rate goes really high, um, and and you know, I think the key thing with that is the interest rate model that we use is a three slope curve, and I think that works really really well um, for for high utilization assets. So Can let's we say. That? Can we define what that is? Yeah. So typically, there is only one kink, right? Let's say like it's here, and then it's here. Um, given whatever utilization rate you want to, to set the interest rate to be higher, 
uh, what we do differently in V1 and also going to adjust in V2 as well. Right now, the V2 is not three curve, uh, three slope curve yet. So in V1 is that um, it's going to be like this. It's going to stable at around 80 to 90% utilization rate. So which means that at 80 to 90% utilization rate, the borrowers are paying fixed fee. Uh, I mean, fixed borrowing APY. And it was flat at 10% APY, 10% borrowing APY, which correlates to about 8% lending interest rates. Um, and the fact that I tell you that, you know, typically it stays around at 8% is because we want the borrowers to be at around 80 to 90% um, because we think this is the optimal for both borrowers and lenders. Lenders get high APY without risking the funds locking, without having, uh, without being able to withdraw. And then the borrowers get, you know, a fixed uh, APY uh, within this range, right? And then after uh, 90%, it would go up really steeply. So this gap is only 10% from 90 to 200%. Uh, so that's why when uh, the utilization rate goes beyond 90%, borrowers typically just uh, close their position because the APY to, to borrow the funds are too high now. So yeah, with this three slope curve, um, it allows us to generate pretty high APY. Okay, so mm, the three slopes are there a, a first long slow slope where the, the, the interest uh, increases a little bit, but not that much from zero to 80%. And then from Correct. 80 to 90 percent, it stays flat at a relatively low, but still well, well not not too low, I guess. But it stays flat from 80 to 90 percent utilization of the ether deposited. And then once you hit that 90 percent, it goes up really, really fast because you can't get to 100 percent because that's bad. And so that that plateau that you create offers stability in uh, yield for the suppliers and the borrowers. Uh, and mm -hmm. and that just makes things more stable, which I think that, that's pretty clever. And so you're both incentivizing, uh, you're, you're incentivizing just capital efficiency. I think that's pretty elegant. Yeah, so, so you know, that's the, the math behind um, uh, the high APY on lenders as well. Um, and your, your, your second question, Ryan, you were asking, you know, what's the APY on, on V2, right? There are many assets. So right now we're migrating more of ETH uh, and, and the pools and also the lenders from V1 to V2. So um, the APY on ETH on V2 right now is about 5 to 6%. And then on stable coins, it's about 30%, um, including the alpha APY too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So, so uh, David, he, he's a bit of a DeFi degen, you know, not totally. like me. So I know he's gonna he's gonna use the borrowing side of Alpha Homora a whole bunch. Um, but I'm a simple holder, and I like yield. You know, on my stable coins, I like yield on my ETH. So I might be more interested in lending. But what I what I'm having uh, what I want to understand if I'm to to lend to something like Alpha Hamora, let, let let's say I put my ETH in Alpha Hamora, is kind of the the risk level, right? And so, um, you know, something like ETH V2 right now uh, in in staking, uh, I can earn about ten percent, maybe eleven percent, spread it out. Of course, my ETH is locked up, but it's a different story. But at least the risk I have there is kind of hypothetically should be protocol type risk, right? Um, or risk that ETH2 never never ships. What sort of risk am I subjected to when I deposit into um, into Alpha Hamora as a as a lender? And I know you mentioned some of this. I just want to wrap my head around it because I know there's smart contract risk. People are familiar with that with all DeFi protocols. Um, what other risks? You, you also mentioned some basically uh, some risk on the on the, kind of the borrower side. 
if, uh, if they go underwater somehow. But can you walk me through that one more time to make sure I understand what kind of risk there might be? <clears throat> sure. So when positions are, are underwater, which means that debt is more than collateral that they inputted, um, then when that case happens, then the protocol would need to find the funds from somewhere to cover that debt, right? Um, the first place that the protocol would find that fund is the insurance pool that we have, which is coming from the 20% of the borrowing uh, interest rates that the borrowers are paying. Um, and then once the protocol taps into that pool, and if there is the need to find more funds, then it would tap into the pool of uh, the lending assets um, that will cover the funds. Um, so I think it's more of, you can treat it as the secondary uh, place that the protocol will look at. Um, and only at the event in which liquidation, uh, in which the positions are underwater. So in order to have a position to be underwater, that means uh, that ratio would have to reach 100%. And then when it hits 100%, no one is liquidating that position yet for a long time because we give quite a huge buffer, even at liquidation which means that when positions are at liquidation, the positions are not underwater yet. Um, it has some room to, to allow price to swing. Uh, within that room, you know, depending on how fast price swing, but within that room, liquidators should already come to liquidate given the, the, the incentives that they get, right? But somehow if they don't come in and price keeps swinging um, and position uh, becomes under, 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 underwater um, because that, keeps rising and collateral remains the same, you know, then the mechanism would be to tap into the insurance pool and then later on the lending pool. Got it. Okay. So there's some backstops there. And I, I'm wondering like what would happen in the case of something like a, a Black Thursday that we saw, a man, it seems like a very distant memory, but it was it was less than a year ago when we had sort of a, a, a major almost a black swan event of a pretty large ETH drop in in one day. And maker you know, keeper bots, liquidator bots had trouble keeping up um, and liquidating sort of the, the collateral positions. Could Alpha be subjected to something like that? Um, so that too as, as a risk. And then also, are there Oracle risks involved here too? Yeah, actually, before I jump into, into that, uh, one thing that I forgot to mention is that um, on the lending, lending side, this is actually similar to the other lending protocols as well, uh, in which that um, your funds are, 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 pretty much going to be subjected to the risk will be if the borrowers don't pay the debt, right? Because technically your funds are with the borrowers and if the borrowers don't pay, then that's a part of the funds. Um, so that's similar to the other lending protocols. The difference is that, you know, utilization, uh, well, not utilization, but yeah, the difference is that utilization on Alpha Homora is usually higher um, than, than, than other lending protocol just on the basis of leverage you farming product uh, itself, right? So um, yeah, so that's one thing to know that, you know, it's similar lending risk as you were to lend in the other um, protocols too. Um, so now back to your question uh, with um, Black Thursday, right? Yeah, so, so there are, you know, several scenarios that we try to, to make sure that the parameters take into account, including Black Thursday. Um, however, you know, we, have not simulated that scenario because we cannot simulate that scenario, right? Um, so we try to mitigate as much as possible uh, given the parameters, uh, especially which, which means that when it's at liquidation point, we set a huge buffer still. Um, so that's one way to mitigate that. 
Um, and another thing that is coming as well is that uh, we are working with uh, a number of uh, liquidation uh, protocols um, to, to make sure that we not just limit to uh, the bots or, or, or other liquidator data in the space, but actually uh, working with liquidation protocols um, to make sure that we have a strong um, backstop uh, you know, system. So, so one of the protocols we're talking to is B protocol. So we're trying to see um, how we can uh, leverage their, their, their technology that they have come up with um, as a backstop for DeFi protocols and see how we can fit with the whole um, puzzle here. That's crazy. B protocol. So I've not even explored kind of liquidator protocols. There are entire protocols uh, that are just to made me. to liquidate. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So so that's what they do. Uh, I, I, I just talked to them last week. So um, yeah, they're, they're pretty new. So so um, it's, it's worth um, exploring, but we're also exploring on the tech side as well um, to see if... Um, if it would be, you know, easy and, and, and good to integrate. David, the money robots are getting smarter. It seems like I've got one question for you, then we're going to pause for breaks. And then um, we are going to get to all of the community questions that are coming in. And, and that is like, it seems to me, Tasha, that you guys have taken a, an approach almost like uh, Andre from, from uh, Wire and from Wi-Fi. He came on, which is like, I'm just going to build the thing that I think the community needs right now, right? So it seems like you have, I'm not sure how your team did this, but you've figured something out in DeFi that has very strong product market fit. And the reason I know this is because Alpha Hamora is a relatively new protocol. Is like how many months has it been live at this point? In four months. Four months. Okay, four months. And you're already locking, I looked uh, sometime today, close to 700,000 ETH. Right, that's like 1.2 billion ETH. Like it's it's a it's an ETH eater. It's an ETH monster that you've created, and that to me screams of of product market fit. I'm just curious. So, how did you do it? How did you? Was it just like kind of a, a guess that hey, this is something that we think DeFi needs, and then you just you know built built toward toward that, or are you DeFi users and you just like like felt this? case yourself or like how did you find this product market fit so quickly mm -hmm. yeah so so i think that's the key with finding and recruiting our team uh we are you know our team are pretty much active DeFi users in the space um and and also passionate in the space so they they don't just work and encode and pretty much they are active users and reading twitter um, um pretty much you know very into the the whole ecosystem right um so that means that all the ideas are actually coming from everyone, not just me or Nippon. Um, and we usually get various ideas from, from all the engineers all the time. And pretty much once we saw and once we realized that there's a huge you know, gap um, in the ETH side, which means that there are so many ETH holders in the space. And if you go on um, any of the place um, that you can lend and, and, and earn the yields, the yields are really, really low. And I'm sure if you ask anyone who's holding ETH, if you want high lending interest rate, I'm sure they would say yes. So, so then that you know gives a light bulb moment in which that we just need to find a way to innovate on the borrowing side and create an organic high lending APY on ETH, and that would give a strong um, uh, you know competitive edge and and uh, a good you know product market fit to begin with. And then we grow from there. Um, we did not expect that there would be V2 so quickly as well. So I think everything is more on adjusting. Uh, to what the market needs, um, like you mentioned. 
Yeah, super smart because as an ETH holder, I know, and there are many of us, like we are strong holders. We, we've been through a bear market, right? And uh, th there's really not much you can do to generate interest on your ETH in DeFi. I mean, the best you could do is maybe put it in a crypto bank like a Celsius or a BlockFi or something like that. But in DeFi, aside from just staking it, in ETH2, there, there's really not many places uh, to, to put it to earn some interest. And you guys have created that. I think that is a huge part of your success. So, you know, hats off. But like, were you surprised by the volume of assets under management that you accrued in four months period of time? Did that even surprise you? Yeah, that surprises me too. Um, and, and and I think it's, it's great to not ignore that light bulb moment. And I think this... Um, gives more clarity that, you know, light bulb moments are really, really important. Um, it may not be that idea that you think at that moment, but then if you just stick to it and find an angle um, that, that, you know, plays with that idea, then, then that should work. Um, especially if you've been in the space for quite some time, um, I think the value of light bulb moment will become more and more valuable. Yeah, just to put it into perspective for listeners, uh, Alpha Hamora is locking up, or Alpha at large, yeah, Alpha Hamora is locking up 75,000 Ether, where Ave is only locking up um, 420,000 Ether, which is just crazy. It's, you all almost have them doubled, which is pretty cool. There are so many more things about Alpha that I want to get into, including Alpha X and this uh, this pool of funds that is backstopping Alpha, um, Alpha Hamora. And so we're going to get into all of those details right after we get back from a break to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Synthetics cool. is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetics is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by Synthetics. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, SOIL, or SDFI. Because Quenta is powered by synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage. I meant no slippage because that is the power of the synthetics platform. No slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders. Developers can build on synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets. Or investors can stake collateral to the protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world, check out quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or ETH and earn fees from synthetics. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a Monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is both a one-two punch of an Ethereum smart contract wallet, as well as an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet wherever Visa is accepted. It's really a fantastic tool that lets you use Ethereum for what it does best, which is holding and managing your financial assets, but also keeps you connected to the rest of the world's payment rails. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if ever you need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet. So your money is never held by a centralized intermediary because your Monolith wallet is native to Ethereum. 
Monolith helps you transcend both the legacy and the crypto worlds because the money that you hold in your Monolith wallet has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips. But with Monolith, so are the groceries at your grocery store or the coffee at your coffee shop. Go to monolith.xyz to sign up and get your Monolith Visa card today. All right, guys, we are back with Tasha from Alpha, and we have uh, talked all about Alpha Hamora, and there are a few more things we want to talk about, and then we're going to get into some listener questions. So if you are watching on the YouTube, first off, thanks for being there, and uh, now is the time to get your questions in. Uh, while you are doing that, don't forget to uh, hit that like button, um, and we'll get to those questions in a little bit. But I want to al ask about Alpha X, because Alpha X is a different product than Alpha Hamora. So Tasha, can you tell us about Alpha X? Yeah, so it actually came from the market demand, again, that we saw uh, once we launched Alpha Homora, right? Um, that demand is that they want to use leverage yield farming product, they want to use Alpha Homora, um, but they don't want to be in a position in which they're shorting ETH. Um, you know, in to give more details on Alpha Homora V1, in which all the leverage is based on ETH. Um, if you supply not in equal amount, and, and let's say you, you are supplying one ETH and you're borrowing one more ETH to a U farm on ETH sushi, right? Then that means that one ETH has to be converted to sushi um, because you still need both to provide liquidity and U farm. So that means that you're in a position of shorting one ETH um, because uh, you're technically selling the ETH now. Uh, if the ETH price goes up, then that means you have to buy at a high price back to pay the loans, right? So when that's the case, then a lot of community members, a lot of users uh, reached out to us saying that, you know, is there a way to hedge their positions? They don't want to short the ETH. Um, so, you know, that gives another light bulb idea that, hey, we should actually just create another product um, that will grow in its own area, but still provide this ability to hedge um, and, and, and provide synergy to Alpha Homora. So, you know, that's how we came across the idea of, of Alpha X, which is a non-order book, um, decentralized perpetual swap trading product um, that will grow in this area and still provide um, Alpha Homora V2 users to be able to hedge their positions. Um, so when we launch Alpha X, there will be a simple UI for users to just click hedge and then, you know, taking through the whole process and, and open another, another long position on Alpha X um, to make sure that they are both in a market neutral leveraged position so that's you know on the high level uh, i can talk more about you know how alpha x is unique from the other um you know protocols in this space and what do we look to grow alpha x into yeah do that and is it out yet or is it when, when is it coming it's in private testnet right now so we're okay. working on uh adjusting the parameters based on the data that we have got um from the private testnets and then, you know, depending on how much we have to adjust on the parameters um, or on the smart contract, um, usually not on the on, not on the smart contract level, but more on the parameters um, to ensure that it's scales um, and also safe to use. Um, and then the next step would be to launch public testnet. Um, so yeah, a bit more about Alpha X is that, you know, the fact that it's non-order book um, is already a good thing, which means that you don't have to bootstrap liquidity. Um, to, to be able to trade on Alpha X, right? Another thing that is, you know, really unique um, about Alpha X is that, which is what I mentioned earlier, is uh, we baked in the funding payments or funding rate payments into the price. 
So which means that on alpha X, there is only one price, whether you, you, you open a position, whether you close a position, that's the price you're you know, doing it against, right? And in order for us to simplify the funding rate payments, we bake that concept in into this price. So which means, for instance, if the long were to have to pay the short, um, then we would shift this price down um, automatically. So the long would not have to pay the short, but if the long were to close a position, they would close at a lower price than if they were to close before the adjustment. Um, so hence they are paying the short indirectly um, by default. So that's the one main thing that's uh, unique about AlphaX. The second thing that I really like is that the positions, the leverage positions on AlphaX are tokenized. Um, it's gonna be wrapped into ERC-20. So which means that, you know, wherever AlphaX is, be it on Ethereum, be it on L2, which we are exploring as well, um, users can still unlock that interoperability because once you port that ERC-20 out from you know, L2 to the other protocols in L1, then you will be able to use more benefits and do more things with this um, tokenized positions. Very cool. All right. Well, um, Tasha, you've teed us up for our first uh, reader question here. So this is from someone in the Bankless Discord asking about your layer two strategy. So you just mentioned that Alpha is exploring it. What are you exploring? What looks good in layer two? And what are you planning to implement? Yeah, so um, we're actively talking to various uh, layer two protocols, um, looking to deploy, you know, AlphaX on layer two. Um, so, so you know, this is the the, the next step for AlphaX. We're actively um, evaluating various layer two. Um, the fact that the positions are tokenized uh, makes it the you know makes it uh, still possible to interoperate interoperate with the other protocols. Um, so that's why we decided to, you know, start first with AlphaX beyond L2. Um, typically, when we when we build the products on Alpha Finance Lab, right, we don't like to have the product operate as a standalone product. Uh, we like to have it as an ecosystem. Even with Alpha Homora, there's a huge partners and ecosystem that it, you know, partners with. With AlphaX, we're using the tokenized positions as the 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 way to create a, an ecosystem for AlphaX. Um, so yeah, depending on which L2 we're, we're going to choose, the public testnet um, should also be on that L2 as well. Um, so, so that will be uh, upcoming um, in the near term future. And Tasha, do you have any like general directions as far as L2? Are you thinking more like optimistic rollups or ZK rollups or something else entirely? Yeah, we're, we're thinking more on the optimistic rollup. Um, so we're actively talking to various protocols in that area. Very cool. Thank you. So we have a question from Carl in the uh, Bankless uh, YouTube about the Alpha Token. Um, and this is a question that I have as well. What, what role does the Alpha Token play in the Alpha Finance ecosystem? Mm -hmm. So we actually have uh, finalized the Alpha Tokenomics. Um, and, and we actually have started you know, working on the technical details, writing the smart contract, um, adjusting Alpha Homora V2 to bake in that alpha tokenomics. Um, so I think that's the high level um, that, that I wanted to share. I think another thing that is good to know now is that there are multiple uh, factors in the alpha tokenomics. So when we create something, we don't just uh, create from, from a one layer or one perspective. Uh, we, we try to always 
be more creative and, and you know, innovate something uh, that we do, right? So that's the same for our phototeconomics. So there's, you know, one component that is, um, you know, similar to, to other protocols. And then there's another component that is also something new and creative. Uh, and we're really excited on launching a combination of both. Um, so yeah, more details to be to be shared. Um, I'll make sure to, to share as fast as possible uh, when we can um, and, and making sure that we explain very thoroughly on the new idea that we have come up with. Are you viewing your token as kind of part of an ecosystem as well? So one token across all of the alpha products, is that right? Correct, yes. Okay. And uh, another question that I've been seeing a lot in the uh, Bankless uh, YouTube comments is about the that insurance fund, which I uh, promised to come back to towards the end of this podcast. So here we are. There's an insurance fund that you guys have that uh, is backstopping some of the activity going on in Alpha Hamora. But Alpha seems to be having a there. There seems to be a social contract of capital efficiency. So what else is this insurance fund going to be used for? Is this going to be tapped into in any other sorts of ways in the future? Yeah, actually, it's going to be related to the alpha tokenomics. Um, so that should be... A Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, got it. <laughs> nice, David. Well done. <laughs> Very good. Um, another question came in uh, on Twitter, and this was, I think, from a developer. So would love to understand alpha's plans to allow developers to build on alpha. You've mentioned in the past, Tasha, that um, there was this possibility. So any thoughts on timing, what you'd like people to build? And uh, the person is asking because he is one of the people who actually wants to build on alpha. So what can you tell developers about building on alpha at this point? Yeah, so I, I think at this point, um, you know, myself and, and the team, uh, we have to grow the community initiatives a lot more, including, you know, more grants, uh, more um, growing the developer mind share for the whole ecosystem. So that's uh, in progress um, and, and pretty much, you know, in the meantime, as that's being grown out, uh, if you have any particular idea you want to build on top of Alpha Homora, on top of Alpha X or any other, any other upcoming Alpha products, feel free to reach out directly to me on Discord. Although I reply a little bit slow, um, um, but you know, I reply. Uh, so, so just DM me um, and with ideas or anything like that. Um, for the long-term solution, you know, we're going to build out more of a decentralized grants um, and, and pretty much allowing developers in the space to be able to contribute and be able to have a say on what should be built um, on alpha products. You guys did get praise so far in these uh, YouTube comments from someone. I remember reading a comment about how uh, attentive and, and uh, patient some of the explanations out of the uh, your guys' Discord was. So uh, the Discord uh, is the community gathering place for so many of these protocols. So having a good one is really important. So, so nice job there. Another question that we have out of the YouTube is, are there any te teasers on what pools they are looking to add to the four that they currently have available in uh, V2 already? Yeah, so more pools are upcoming. Um, a bit teaser just for Bangladesh uh, listeners and an audience are, you know, ETH Wi-Fi is coming. Uh, you would also be able to take a leverage on Wi-Fi. So that also means that users can lend Wi-Fi as well. So there will be an IB Wi-Fi token generating high yields on Wi-Fi. Um, and then the same mindset will grow to, you know, other assets like DPI, SNX and so on and so forth. IBYFI. Wow, that sounds that sounds crazy. 
<laughs> there you All go, right. bankless. There's some, some alpha leaks on our alpha conversation. Um, yeah, had to fit that one in, David. You know I was going there. Um, another question coming in from uh, Bankless, Bankless Discord this time is actually about your partnership with, with Wiren. So what has Alpha gained from partnering with Wiren up to this point? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of times, you know, the gains are more long-term and relationship building. Uh, and I think we're here for the long term perspective right so sometimes the gains are not quantified to oh we get x amount of loans or x amount of you know lending assets on on the product um, but i think it's the relationship that we have built um, in a sense that uh, whatever we do we, tr we will try to to benefit the partners and same for the partners whatever they do they will try to uh, be wary of us and, and make sure it's something beneficial to us uh, so so that's on the long term, right? On the short term, um, Andre and Yearn itself actually have been lending through Alpha Homora uh, V2 as well. So in, to, to give more color on that, you know, the uh, uh, Yearn V2 DAI and USDC vaults, um, these are lending on Alpha Homora right now um, to, to pretty much grow the liquidity pool of uh, lending assets for the leverage farmers to take the leverage on. Um, so that's on the short term. And, you know, once we find more angles that we can work together, and then it will grow from there. Um, and, you know, we're using Cream as the liquidity uh, place that we take uh, the liquidity from to allow leverage users to take leverage, right? So Cream is also a part of your ecosystem. Um, and, and integrating with Cream also helps grow the urine ecosystem too. Oh, curious. So why Cream? Mm -hmm. I think because of several things. Uh, I think when we were building Alpha Homa V2, Cream was at the uh, injection point in which uh, Yearn just acquired or like, you know, yeah, acquired a Cream. So they were up for a new change, right? Um, and I think in order for a lending protocol to, to allow Alpha Homora and pretty much whitelist Alpha Homora contract, um, they themselves have to adjust their contract to so Cream would have to, you know, adjust on their code, saying that they would whitelist Alpha Homora V2 and allow Alpha Homora V2 to borrow in an under collateralized way. Uh, and Cream was up for that because it's at an, inje in, an injection point. And we are also close to Andre um, to begin with, so you know it's kind of uh, like pretty easy to to talk to. Um, and I think he has a lot of good ideas um, to pretty much find a way to grow uh, Alpha and Yearn ecosystem uh, as a whole. Okay, a bankless member is asking about the uh, the harvest function on V2 and said that the cost is $500 in gas at 100 uh, at 100 guay. Why is it not optimized better? Do you guys have any plans to continue to optimize gas costs in Alpha Homora V2? Mm, yeah, I think um, several points to that, right? Uh, first point is that Alpha Homora does a number of operations uh, for, for the users. Um, the more complex your strategy is, the more gas cost it's gonna cost. So what, what determines complex strategy, right? So let's say if you are supplying only DAI to the curve three pool and you are borrowing, you know, 75% USDT, 10% DAI, 10% USDC. So it's pretty complex. Then that means that all of these have to be um, gone through a number of operations uh, to make sure that you provide liquidity in, uh, you know, same proportion on Curve, which already has pretty high gas to begin with, um, comparing to other AMM protocols. Um, 
to get the CRV token. So to prevent you know, high gas costs, uh, one way to do it is to simplify the operations um, on, on the user's end. On our end though, uh, there, there are several things that we're uh, looking to do as well. Uh, one thing is, um, you know, we understand that claiming the farm token can cost a lot, uh, especially now when the gas cost is really, really high. Um, so, and there have been a lot of community members wanting to, to put up a proposal um, to, to create another option um, to reinvest. Um, so that is something sure. that we're looking into as well for users who, who uh, don't want to pay high gas fees and still want to claim um, the rewards, they could be able to choose the reinvest button. Um, it's still to be determined. The community members would still have to put up the proposal um, and, and, and evaluating through um, the, the risk parameters as well. Another question uh, that came in was about, so Synthetics recently launched Synthetic Stocks, uh, starting with Tesla, so S-Tesla, everyone's favorite in crypto these days. Does Alpha plan to incorporate any of these assets, the idea of a trustless, decentralized kind of synthetic stock is pretty appealing, especially in the US, when uh, exchanges like Robinhood are, are shutting down our GameStop stocks. Any plans around this? Wow, you're actually leading me um, into more alpha leaks. Um, oh, okay. This, 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 <laughs> Perfect. Is what, this is what our jobs are for. Yeah. <laughs> Found one. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, that's something in our radar um, and we're working towards it. So would not say it's not going to happen, but also don't want to commit on any timeline. Would that be like a separate um, product in your ecosystem, do you think? Or would that be kind of something that could be incorporated into the two existing products? Um, more on the incorporating into the existing. Very yeah, cool. Very, very interesting. Cool. So a lot of what we're talking about is, especially with Alpha Hamora, Alpha X, partnership with uh, Andre and, and Yearn and all that stuff, that's all on-chain stuff. And so I have a, I have a question on the Bankless YouTube uh, about what, what are you driving uh, doing to drive usage on the social side of things, the, the human side of things? Like, is there a marketing department? Is there a business development? What's that side of things like? Mm, good question. I think that's that's very important. Um, and typically, um, you know, we just focus, you know, a lot on the product, understanding the product and everything. Yeah, we have a marketing and business development department. And pretty much um, the way that we work with our partners is uh, even if there's nothing that we can do together yet, we still would like to get in touch um, early um, in case there's anything that we can do for other alpha products, right? Because we're always going to be um, thinking of new products, new new um, solutions to the space. So the more uh, we know, the better. So we can see, you know, oh, this product would actually benefit this partner and we can work together on, you know, this new product. Um, so, so that's been, uh, you know, pretty uh, ongoing and actively uh, driven by the BD and marketing team. Tasha, this has been a fantastic conversation. I learned so much. Uh, this has been uh, an AMA that you know I personally probably learned the, the most out of, of any AMAs that we've done previously. So thank you for that. You guys have built a phenomenal product with uh, some great product market fit uh, and you're doing a great job. So, so well done and thanks for joining us on Bankless. Thank you so much, David, Ryan, and everyone um, in the Bankless community. And, and Tasha, if, if anyone listening, any of the listeners on the YouTube or listeners on the podcast want to go learn more about Alpha, where should they go? How can they join your guys' community? 
Yeah, so first place is you can go to the website. The website has everything, link to Discord, link to Twitter, Telegram, link to all the blog posts that we write, um, all the documents. So, you know, everything is aggregated on the website. So it's alphafinance.io. And then you can go anywhere in our community from there. Well, fantastic. Well, Bankless Nation, this has been another AMA. One thing we want to tell you before we let you go, there is a consensus conference that is coming May 24th. I will be there. David will be there. We just learned that Ray Dalio will be there. And if you sign up now, you can get $20 off that conference. Definitely check that out if that's something you're interested in. Way more fun to attend crypto conferences during the bull market. We are definitely in a bull market for the ages. Uh, so, so check that out. Um, Tasha, thanks again for being with us. Of course, risks and disclaimers, everyone. ETH is risky. So is DeFi. So is Bitcoin. We didn't talk much about Bitcoin these days, but we did talk about how to put your ETH into Alpha Hamora. And be careful, of course, you could lose what you put in. None of this has been financial advice, but this is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on Bankless today. Thanks a lot. And if you are on the Bankless YouTube, make sure we get Tasha and Alpha to the front page by liking the video and also subscribing to the channel <laughs> for future that. AMAs and all the future content that comes out of the Bankless YouTube. Thanks, guys. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. We recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.